0: Imagine this. Over 2,000 years ago, a baby named Jesus was born. They called him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But guess what? It's not just an old story. It's your story for today. God's not some faraway thing. He's not just for special people or back on the old days. That baby born in Bethlehem, he's still right here with us now. We're on a journey this Christmas, from the stable to today, and we're celebrating the daily presence of the King of Peace. He's the one turning our dark days into light. He's now and forever, the beginning and end. He's Emmanuel, God with us. A few years ago, one of the most popular kinds of books was the kind that offered a checklist that helped you discover whether you fit into one category or another. It seemed like there was a checklist for everything. Maybe a checklist that would help you to discover if you were in good health, whether you were financially stable or if you were being a good parent. It seemed like there was a a checklist for everything in the world, including a book that came out entitled, How to Know if You're a Redneck. Now, in case you're wondering if you fit into that category, let me give you a few indicators to help clarify it for you. First of all, if when your front porch collapses, more than three dogs are killed, you might be a redneck. If you own a home that's mobile and five cars that are not, you might be a redneck. If you've ever been fired from a construction job due to your appearance, you might be a redneck. If you've ever hollered out, rock the house Bubba in the midst of a piano recital, you might be a redneck. And if you stare at a can of frozen orange juice because it says concentrate, you might be a redneck. Now if you have to think about that last one, you might be a redneck. This morning we're going to look at a scripture passage together and then take a diagnostic checklist of ourselves. And As we begin, as we get started, I want to share some givens. I want to share some basic assumptions that I live with. I live with a basic assumption. And we'll advance that one. Basic assumption that God desires to be close to us, to be with us. I live with the basic assumption that being with or not being with God is our choice. and It's a daily choice that we all make. I live with the basic assumption that the Holy Spirit is present within us as Christ followers. And I live with the basic assumption that during the course of our day, we can experience God communicating with us. Now, each one of these ideas builds on the other And they reflect on God's great desire to have a relationship with us that goes far beyond just a Sunday morning experience. Now it's a relationship that is part of the fabric of our daily lives. Now during our sermon series, we have been talking about how we can experience God with us, how we can experience Emmanuel, how we can experience God's presence with us in the course of every single day. And one of the most overlooked places to experience God's presence is through the people around us. And so we're going to ask a diagnostic question of ourselves this morning. And the question is this, how do you know if you are seeing God's presence in and through the people around you? Now here's why that's important. When we grow in our awareness of of God's presence in and through the people around us, We grow in our love for people, and our love for God, and we grow even more aware of his presence with us. And that's incredibly important for maturing in our faith as Christians. And so if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to Colossians chapter 4. Our passage this morning is going to be found in Colossians chapter 4. The passage will be on the screen as well, but we're going to be referring back to this throughout the message. And so I invite you to, to open your Bible and keep it open throughout the message. Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. These are Paul's final words to the people in the church in Colossae. Here's what he says to the congregation. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is One of you and a servant of Christ Jesus sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, but sure and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. A people who are in community typically do two very common things. They tell stories And they dream dreams they tell stories and they dream dreams and the longer that they've been in community the deeper the stories and the richer the dreams do you realize that when you're in a small community of people there's a story and a dream attached to each person that's part of doing life in community and that's what is behind Paul's words here this morning now unfortunately this is a passage that many people skip right over which is so unfortunate because it's incredibly rich and so, as we are together this morning, I want to draw as much out of this passage as we possibly can. Now, Paul wrote his letter to the church at Colossae while a prisoner in Rome. Very likely, just shortly before the end of his life. And in this conclusion, Paul is sending greetings from a small community of people. A group of people who are facing exile and, and prison. Back to some dear friends at the church of Colossae. And in fact, he's pulling back the curtain. And revealing a a circle of traveling companions as well as the the dear people he's writing this to. And there's a story that's attached to each name that's mentioned in this passage. So what I want to do with us this morning is to walk around that circle and look at those stories. From the lives of these people and from what Paul says about them and to them. We are going to see various indicators that help us to recognize God's presence with us in and through the people around us. And so the first indicator I want us to see is that if you can describe how a person's character traits reflect God, you might be seeing God through that person. Now Paul begins in verse 7 by saying, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. We first meet Tychicus in scripture in Acts chapter 20 where we find out that he is from the Roman province of Asia. And in our passage, Paul gives him three wonderful commendations. He calls him a dear brother... He calls him a faithful minister, and he calls him a fellow servant. Now, I want to give you a word or a phrase to go with each of the names in this circle that we're going to look at. And the word that's going to go with Tychicus is that word encourage that we see in verse 8. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Most New Testament scholars believe that Tychicus was a representative of the church in the province of Asia who brought the money to the poor in the Jerusalem church. Can you imagine how encouraging that was for the believers in Jerusalem? Apparently Tychicus was the one who signed up for that task. And Paul also writes about Tychicus in his letter to the church at Ephesus. He says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also May know how I am doing and what I am doing. When Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, he was chained to a Roman guard. There are certain things you don't write about when you've got a Roman guard looking over your shoulder. You don't write about prison conditions. You don't write about your opinion of the Caesar. And so Paul says, I'm going to send Tychicus to you so you can know how things really are with me. And Tychicus would go to the people and he would reassure them Paul's okay, he's in the Lord's hands. And not only that, the gospel is spreading and the kingdom is growing. And the people would be encouraged because when one person shares their experience of God's faithfulness, people get changed. You know, when you look at the life of another person and you see the character traits in them that resemble God, you are seeing God through them. You're being reminded of God's presence with you through them. Their faithfulness reflects God's faithfulness. Their trustworthiness is God's trustworthiness. The encouragement you see in them is God's encouragement. A second indicator. If you see people not for their earthly status, but for their stature in Christ, you might be seeing God through the people around you. Now we all play the game of life in this world. There's a competition to see who's going to win, to see who's best, who's most powerful, who's most successful. There are some people who go through their whole life miserable because there always seems to be somebody ahead of them. But if you are someone who can see people not for their earthly status, but for their stature in Christ, then you are much more likely to see God's presence through them. Now look at verse 9. Paul's going to be writing about another name in the circle. He says, Tychicus is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. When we look at the book of Philemon, we see that that Onesimus is a runaway slave that Paul has encouraged to return to his owner, Philemon, as, as a sign of his obedience to Christ. And what we're about to see is, is that what makes this new faith community so unique is that the old divisions are just done away with in Christ. Paul writes this in the in the book of Philemon, writing to Philemon. Therefore. Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. In other words, Paul is saying, as an apostle, I could command you to to receive Onesimus back and be reconciled to him. Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Look at the skill. Look at the heart, look at the care with which Paul is working towards reconciliation. It says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now, a little note about this the name Onesimus meant useful. And so Paul is doing a little play on words here. Also, that that name Onesimus was almost never given to a free person, it was reserved almost exclusively for slaves. Paul says, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Even though he can, Paul is not going to use pressure. He's not going to use authority. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for just a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. These are radical words in those days. Paul says, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Look what Paul says next. See, remember the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We are seeing a peacemaker at work here. Paul is a peacemaker. He says, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Now, Onesimus could have been tracked down and killed, but Paul couldn't stand to see that kind of division, that kind of disunity within the church. Remember earlier in the book of Colossians, Paul had written, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Can you imagine how Onesimus, a runaway slave, would have felt coming back to his owner Philemon, Knowing that Philemon and the whole church at Colossae had received Paul's words to them, calling Onesimus, this is my faithful and dear brother. I want to share a little postscript about this story with you. Several decades later, in the writings of one of the church fathers named Ignatius, he refers to a a, a bishop in the city of Ephesus, in the church of Ephesus, named Onesimus. Now we don't know for certain if it's the same Onesimus, but because the name was reserved primarily for slaves, it may be very well that it's Onesimus, a slave in the eyes of the world, had become one of the great leaders of the church. We need to, to look beyond a person's earthly status, beyond their earthly role, and see them for their stature in Christ. The next name we're going to see is Aristarchus, and Paul uses one phrase about him here in Colossians. He calls him my fellow prisoner, but that along with a couple of other New Testament passages is enough to give us our third indicator. Our third indicator is if you observe Christ's followers who stick close to those who are in trouble, you might be seeing God through that person. In Acts chapter 19, we see that Paul is in Ephesus, and there's a riot that's going on, and, and... Aristarchus is there with him. He's a a travel companion who shares his trouble there. And then in Acts chapter 27 we read, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. The next verse we see that Aristarchus was there with Paul at this time, part of this contingent being handed over to the, the regiment. Many New Testament scholars believe that Aristarchus had attached himself to Paul as Paul's slave so that the Roman soldiers would allow him to stay close by. You know, we often do well when people around us are going through a short-term crisis. For a week or two, we'll do well in coming alongside them and being a support to them. But very often, we don't do as well when that crisis becomes long-term. Whether it's financial or career crisis or an extended illness. There's a a verse in Proverbs that says, A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a time of adversity. Does that describe you? Because that was Aristarchus. Paul said, this is Aristarchus. He's my fellow prisoner. He was with Paul there in prison. Almost certainly voluntarily. Aristarchus lived out and reflected Jesus' promise that he would be with us always to the very end of the age. When you see people who stay close during times of trouble, you may be seeing God's presence within them. And then there's Mark. Paul says, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings as does Mark the cousin of Barnabas. This is interesting. If you received instructions about him, if he comes you have received instructions about him if he comes to you welcome him in Mark's life we see a fourth indicator if you see someone who has failed and is being restored you might be seeing God through that person I know that some of you know the story of Mark also called John Mark in Acts chapter 13 we're told that Mark and Paul and Barnabas set out on a missionary journey within just a few verses Mark has quit he's deserted them and then in Acts chapter 15 we read Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. As we find out, Barnabas reclaims Mark. And over the following year, Years, Mark returns to the ministry and he, he proves himself to be faithful so faithful in fact that that Paul writes this about him in 2nd Timothy get Mark and bring him because he is helpful to me in my ministry what a turnaround that is right now God eventually calls Mark to be a, one of the writers of scripture and the, the gospel of Mark bears his name. And Mark's second chance is a a vivid picture to all around him of of God's restoring grace. It was powerfully evident in his life story. Now maybe you're here this morning and and your story includes failure. Maybe you've tried ministry and it it didn't work out. Maybe you've experienced relationship or even marriage failure. Maybe you've lapsed into a, a sin of one sort or another and you're feeling guilty As a result, you've responded by pulling back from ministry and pulling back from people. It may be that you need some more time for healing. But if if you've had enough time, get back in the game. Decide that you're not going to spend the rest of your life on the sidelines. And if you know somebody who's failed, don't give up on them either. Remember the story of Mark. Because it's through stories like Mark that people see God's presence and take hope and knowing that they too can be restored as well. Next, Paul talks about Jesus, who also called justice, and he, he uses a phrase, he says, Aristarchus and Mark, as well as justice, are the only Jews among my fellow workers. But because they lived and worked and ministered amongst the Gentiles, they faced ostracism. They were expelled from the synagogue. Paul's comment about justice and the others is, they have proved a comfort for me. It's a tundered word, right? The word comfort. And it gives us a fifth indicator to consider. If you see people who are bringing comfort to those who are hurting, you might be seeing God through the people around you. Now Paul faced being ostracized as well. He was expelled from synagogue after synagogue. Very often we think of Paul as being this tough, calloused guy, but he really wasn't. He needed to be comforted as well, and justice saw that, and justice brought that comfort to him. Is there somebody in your circle, maybe your small group here at Crosspoint, maybe a circle of friends in your community who needs to be comforted? Maybe somebody who's experienced a loss of one sort or another who could use a note or an email or a text or a meal delivered or even just a hug. What a wonderful thing to, to be said about you, what was said about justice Paul said, I was hurt, and I was lonely, and he brought healing to me. That could be part of what you bring to your circle of friends. The next person that Paul talks about is Luke, and he uses just one phrase. He says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor. Now, some of you know about Luke being a physician. This is the only time in Scripture that he's referred to in this way. In Paul's day, medicine was just becoming its own, its own discipline, Apparently, this is what happened. Luke gave up his medical practice to travel with Paul. Apparently, he felt God's call to leave his practice and to enter into full-time ministry. Now, not everybody does and not everybody should, but, but Luke did. And I want to share with you an interesting theory. In one of Paul's other letters, he speaks about a thorn in the flesh. And he never talks about what the thorn is, but it might have been a physical affliction. It might very well be that that Luke gave up his medical practice to travel with Paul to give him medical attention. What an incredible sacrifice Luke made for the cause of Christ and for Paul. Paul says, this is Luke, the beloved physician who gave up his whole career. Now, we know that God had another career in mind for Luke beyond that of missionary, that of as an author of scripture. Luke later wrote the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts And Luke's life is powerfully an indicator of how we can recognize God's presence in the people around us. When you observe people who are willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ, you might be seeing God through the people around you. Now, it might be that the sacrifice comes in the form of caring for someone who's homebound, or serving Jesus in another country, or living on less so that you can give more. When you see somebody sacrifice you are seeing the character of God in action because it is God's character to give until it hurts. The point of sacrificing his own son for you and for me. Now, God may be calling some of us to make a sacrifice this year. As we enter into this new year, God may have something in store for us and it might involve sacrifice. It might be a big sacrifice. It might be a, a job change. You might know that already and your heart is thumping right now. Or it might be a smaller sacrifice change a smaller sacrifice it might involve money it might involve caring for people who who need some extra help it might be some time given to ministry it might be a confrontation with somebody who's close to you the question is will you do it will you say i'll be like luke and i'll make a sacrifice i'll endure some pain for the cause of christ As we come to the end of our passage in verse 18, Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Now, Paul dictated his letters, but here he says, This part I write with my own hand. And I find it incredibly poignant. Because as Paul writes this, he says, Remember my chains. It was Paul's chains that moved across that letter as he wrote it. He heard his chains every time he moved the pen. It was Paul's chains that kept him bound to that Roman guard who never left his side. Now, this isn't a plea for sympathy. Paul doesn't even ask the people to pray that he'd be released from his chains because to Paul, the chains have become a symbol of the power of the gospel. and They were part of his story. What's amazing here is that Paul doesn't say, remember my brilliant words. Remember my, my great leadership. Remember my amazing spiritual maturity. No, he says, remember my chains. It's because of these chains that the gospel has come, even to Rome. They could chain me, but they cannot chain the gospel. Paul was in chains because he wanted people to know the nearness of God to them. a nearness that can only happen through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God shows you through the people around you, his nearness, and his presence, and his character, and his love. And the glorious thing is that as we live out these indicators in our own lives, we can allow people to experience God's nearness in their lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that your promise is to never leave us nor forsake us. Your promise is that you are with us every moment of every day. And you show us your presence in so many different ways. And we thank you that one of those ways is through the people in our lives. Thank you that we can see your character in the the people around us. That we can experience your care and your comfort through the people around us. Thank you that we can experience you every moment of every day. Because that's what we long for, Lord. That's what we long for. To have that kind of relationship with you. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.